Where are we going? Twin Peaks, Washington. It's a long way? It's a ways away. Let me give my thanks. Come on in. Exactly 430 miles. What's a dream? At the end of the day, we live inside a dream. In a dream that's divine. Oh, you are very weak. I tried to keep you clean. It is happening again. Who do you think that is there? Oh no. It is happening again. Oh no. It's happening again. It's happening again. No, no, it's not. Just it's sit down. Again. Is someone following us? I follow. Sit, Sarah. Oh, it's you. Yes. Sarah. What's going on? It's difficult to explain. I understand. Mind your own business. some things that will change. Thank you.
sorry to wake you. I am not dreaming. And we're back, everybody. Twin Peaks is in our memories. Chopping Wood Inside podcast is still alive. Are you alive out there? Are you alive, Tom? <laughs> I barely. It's uh, what year is this, really? Literally, what year is this? Exactly. That's what I think. What year is we, this? It's, we live inside of a scream. Not a dream and a Dude, scream, maybe. Yeah. If Lynch had created like a, a Black Lodge, like this is like a, the world we're living in now is way more complex and horrifying than the one he created uh, three years ago. I think this is the Odessaverse. I mean, it certainly feels like the, the Judy universe. It's I mean, this is a very, very strange time. It's been, I think we did our last podcast uh, in February, and I think it was like about two weeks before just everything started shutting down. You're here in Austin. I started working from home, and uh, it didn't feel right. Uh, I don't even think we talked about it for the longest time. It didn't feel right to, to do a podcast. I mean, we had... The, the pandemic, and then we had the protests, the world was burn, burning, Washington. I just, I Black couldn't get into, yeah. you know, yeah, talk about a TV show. Just did, it seemed like just uh, superfluous. It didn't seem uh, like the right thing to do. And then, uh, you know, but now this is kind of the new norm and you adapt. And uh, we've gotten some, some, some fans out there saying, what the hell's going on here? Did you guys disappear? Are you alive? So I think it was, you know, time. Yeah, it's a little escape in the nightmare void uh, Black Lodge that we're all living in. So we wanted to give you guys a little love and uh, say we're still alive. We hope you're all doing okay out there. A lot of people are suffering. There's a lot, a lot, of, lot of things to be worried about in the real world. We don't have to go to horror movies and uh, surrealist television shows to create it. We're living in it. So we're here to give, some lo- give you all some love and finish it out. To, go, to finish strong here, our last dance, part 18. Hopefully stick the landing. Hopefully stick the landing, yes. <laughs> Hopefully we can do it. Well, you know, it's ironic that you mentioned, like, the horror movies and the surrealistic uh, television shows because that's kind of what I've been watching for the past five months. Now, I usually do that anyways, but... We watch uh, the movies, it, right? Yeah, the I movies. do not really watch any television shows, but I, I do a balance of uh, like some classic movies on... Uh, uh, Criterion Channel. I've been going through the the Gene Arthur uh, filmography and some old classic film noirs, and then watching some great horror movies on Shutter. Joe Bob had Joe his, Bob. Uh, yeah, Joe yeah. Bob. We love that. He's been giving. We giving love that. Love, so, so that's been my thing. But what has Murphy been watching over the last at least few weeks? Uh, television. Well, Dark. That's the one thing. I think a lot of Twin Peaks fans uh, might be watching it and liking it like I did. I really loved it. I thought it was like. Uh, even more complex than the surrealist like time tripping world that the return was uh but it was it was all logical you know and it had some emotion as well but like it was it kind of is a sister a sister of the twin peaks the return i would say check it out three thumbs up four thumbs up five thumbs up uh i think it's like it's good but it's like it takes a phd like literally you have to have a phd to uh follow all the it makes twin peaks seem interpreting it uh, actually kind of simple simple like it's not as hard now it's a very abstract story but the time traveling and the incomprehensibility of it is not it's nothing compared to like uh, dark so I, I i was excited to watch part 18 again last night i loved it, it stands up is still a work of art and it's like it's beautiful and uh but yeah i'm excited to talk about it man like, it, was, it was it was the first time i'd gone back to watching it 
in a long time. So I know you watch it a lot more than I do, but uh, it was good to see him again. And I love Part 18. So that's what we're here. Yeah, I haven't watched the Twin Peaks. I mean, I watch it like I, I have a very active uh, Twitter presence. So I'm constantly tweeting images and ideas or thoughts. So um, but I don't really watch any of the uh, episodes. I haven't in a, in a long time. But it's interesting that you said that, you know, you had just returned to it and comparing it to Dark and uh, how it's even may- maybe more impenetrable than, than Twin Peaks. I, I, mean, I haven't watched Dark, but here we are three, almost three years since the return ended, about three years since we started doing the podcast and preparing for the, this part 18. I had this whole very ambitious uh, idea of maybe tying all these threads together. You know how like Cooper in our favorite episode of the second season premiere, he the says, uh, give me some chalk in uh and, uh, yeah. and a, cho- a chalkboard and a, I can't remember what he says, but basically he's going to lay it all out for Truman and, and, uh, and company. And I was going to do something like that, that I was going to intercut into our conversation. Like, you know, once we cross, it could all be different. Very, But, you know, it's just, it's too much. And basically the reason why I didn't do it is I don't have any answers. I, I, I don't know. There's, I mean, I would be redundant. Well, I think you have, you have answers. I think it goes, if you had to go back to like two years ago when we finally, uh, you know, we, we did like the dream theory. We did several podcasts that we really laid out what we thought was going on. And I think that we would probably be doing a better job then than we do now. <laughs> so go back and listen <laughs> yeah. to those. Uh, right. right yeah. I don't know which, which are the best ones to listen to. I think, right. Those are the, those are the ones I think that really sum it up. And um, it's been three years. So it's hard for me to be able to articulate it the same way, but I still stand by a lot of that. Um, and it's all obviously open to interpretation, but nothing changed watching 18 again. And I'm watching a few other episodes now. It still feels like, what we thought it was, you know, and uh, so yeah, go check out those podcasts. I don't know which ones are the best ones to listen to, Tom. Uh, explain I don't, I don't, it, like this big sum up, like the dream theory. I think there's a couple that we did that were like that were the good summaries of what we thought was going. Well, on. there's some good ones out there. I think I think the the unified dream theory and the unified lodge theory, which was interesting because the lodge theory was something that we didn't. I think it was one of the first ones we did after the show ended, and we didn't we didn't set up to, to talk about a theory. We didn't like plan it. We did just kind of happened organically during the conversation. I think it was so successful, at least our, our conversation, not necessarily, you know, what we came up with that it led to more like, you know, thematic episodes talking about certain uh, mysteries. Yeah. Yeah. We talk about, but the unified dream theories, but it has evolved, uh, at least my interpretation. Of well, how is it? Yeah, tell on. me how it's evolved for you. Because I watched it again. I was like, it still feels, well, a little different. We'll talk about 18 when we get into it. But talk about if you have any uh, thoughts about how you're, how it's evolved about the, the entire entirety of the series, what it meant. Return. Well, I think that, that's one of the, the, the things. For me, it's still impenetrable. And I don't think that there is one definitive answer. I don't think it's like, you know, part 18 is the Judy Pocket universe or it's this meta commentary. Uh, on you know like television, um, a real real would, world. I would events. say that it's penetrable. It's penetrable though. I mean, we have it's highly penetrable. I think it doesn't mean that I think we're right. Some things in a million different ways. Yeah, and uh, Lynch and Frost they spent I think like two years just talking about this before they started writing it, and I th- and we touched upon this a little bit when we were talking before the show, but. I don't think I think what they were talking about was like you know characters and themes and experiences and, and seeing what was going on in the real world and how they wanted to tie that together with whatever narrative that they were creating. But I can't see them, especially like Lynch, when they talk about like part 18, when they cross over, like he's going to tell even Mark Frost, 
what he believes that it is. Like, it's, is it a dream? Is it a, a portal? Is it an extension of the Black Lodge? Is it something completely different? I just, I think that it, it's more about like kind of the, the mood and where the characters are and where they're trying to go to and the themes of the show. And one of the most important things that I picked up on, and I think this has been talked about. See, that's the, another thing is that I think a lot of these things have been discussed ad nauseum in all different forms. But well, by us, to but, go. <laughs> other, but other people as well. And others, um, yes. But there, there's a little part in, in, in the Carrie Page Cooper section where he's in her house. And she asks him right before they leave, uh, Washington, that's, that's up north. That's kind of cold. Do I need a coat? And he's like, yeah, bring a coat. And, and she's like, I got a couple. I'll bring a couple. And it made me, for some reason, I didn't put this together, and I can't recall reading anything, but I think subsequently someone might have written an article on this um, that it ties into the whole Jacoby, the Dr. Amp rant about the two coats, the, the gold shovel, like two coats guaranteed, Ooh, like shoveling yourself out of the shit. And I, yeah. I think that's, that's at least for me, watching it again is – the overarching theme, not just for Cooper and Laura, but for a lot of characters of shoveling themselves out of the shit. Some people who are unable to do it. Some people maybe can't even recognize uh, that they're in the shit. But I think that's what's going on here in part 18 is that Laura and Cooper both are trying to shovel themselves out of their own personal like traumas. And that little line didn't seem like just a random throwaway. It seemed very uh, specific and, you know, like many things in, in, in season three, there are little clues. And for me, that was a clue that I tied together with Amp because I think there's a lot of little subtle clues in Amp's uh, speeches or his, his speech that I think is, which is interesting because I think we see that scene twice with the same dialogue even, which plays into the, you know, kind of the fuzziness of time and the doubles themes that we have here. But I think the last thing he said during his first rant was something about the ninth concentric circle of hell. And then it cut directly to Audrey and Charlie, which seemed like a great segue that maybe that's where she is. And then it made me think of here in part 18 is that maybe that's what Cooper and Laura are doing. Maybe they're already in hell or Odessa is a hell scape. And the Palmer house is the center of the ninth concentric circle of hell where you meet Satan, whether that be Judy or not. And the Palmer house is the epitome of evil. So it's little things like that that um, I, I kind of picked up on that we'll go into more um, during our discussion. But well, that's interesting the, though. You think about like uh, if this is like the concentric circle of hell, the ninth concentric circle. That's that's that. I like that idea. Like in terms of this being like because you thought in seventeen she got sucked away while he was trying to save her. Where did Judy send her? Sent her to hell, and so he had to do, go into hell like Dante's Inferno to get his Beatrice Portinelli back. And uh, so that yeah, it makes sense that the the essential core hell house is the Palmer house in the ninth concentric circle of hell. Like, you know, some people say, Oh, she got sent to a pocket universe. Well, this is actually probably just hell. She got sent to hell. <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, I am dead yet. I live, which kind of connotes like a purgatory, which I think is a, a big part. Isn't like that part of, of Dante's inferno. Isn't there like three of them? Yeah, so divide? the red room is purgatory and she finally got sent to hell. They, at right. the very end like Judy said I'm done with you you're going to hell and, and Cooper here is having to go okay I gotta delve into hell to go get her back and she brought uh, Diane with him and I think that he was kind of using her like I don't know I feel a little different about uh, the Diane scenes with her in this episode now that I've seen it after it's been a couple years like it seems like you know he's just dragging her on this fucking like white knight journey 
and that she's putting on a, a, a kind face and she's trying to like forget the fact that he raped her or his doppel raped her but like at the end she couldn't forget it and that letter from Richard to Linda was true and that she, that in a way like his driven mania to like you know save Laura made him neglect his the one woman he loved quote unquote Diane and rape her and like treat her like shit and never like you know would, you would think after all this he'd be like you know, hey, sorry about the whole Mr. Think C thing. Like, you know, I didn't. <laughs> wasn't me. I know it looked like me, I'm but sure. it wasn't me. me. And like, all he just all he says is like, you know, come over here when they get in the hotel room. And she like looks at him. The first place he's gonna take her me is a hotel room, and that she remembers what he did to her, and that the whole that's what the, it's all about. Like, you know, and the like her seeing her doppelganger is like her uh, the way she did detached. Like when she had when she got raped, like she she separated from her body. She was like she's having a sense of memory here, and that this motherfucker's taking me on this crazy journey uh, to save Laura. But what about me? What what did he do? He destroyed me in his attempt to save Laura. So anyway, that was my my new thought. Yeah, and I, I think it's very uh, salient, and it also ties into Laura and the trauma that she experienced um, as a teenager, and also with Audrey, you know, uh, being yeah. raped by Mister C. So that is a, a big theme, and I think. That was another thing watching this episode when 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 Carrie opens the front door and, and sees Cooper the first thing she says did you find him and you know that's still very mysterious is she really trying to bob and weave with the dead body in the house and try to feign ignorance but it also made me think of like Audrey who is on the hunt for the mysterious Billy she's trying to find this Billy this character we don't even know who Billy is and a lot of the uh, the conversations, the dialogue, and even the the past history of both Laura and, and Audrey are, are tied together in a lot of different ways. What Audrey experienced, almost an incestuous rape or experience at, at One Eye Jacks, and all the other things that she experienced that are, are very similar to what Laura did. So, And I think that's what Audrey's representation, or at least her arc in season three, uh, I wouldn't say represents, but a big part of it, I think, is kind of tied to Laura. And it really it hits you over the head. Lynch and Frost hits you hits you over the head with it. And part eighteen, when the evolution of the arm says, "Is it the story of the little girl who lived down the lane?" And that's exactly what Audrey said uh, to Charlie. So I mean, but I mean, we could spend like hours even just talking about that. And that's what I was referencing earlier about these mysteries. I mean, you, I I come up with my own interpretation. I mean, there was something about Twin Peaks and the cinema of David Lynch, and then when he met with Mark Frost and they created Twin Peaks the way that they created images or stories and characters and with Lynch directing with sound and visual taps into something in my brain that is euphoric, that is, is rare. I mean, there are other films that I have similar experiences with, but um, it speaks to me, but doesn't make me smart. I mean, I'm a guy that, you know, maybe is reasonably intelligent, but I didn't finish college. And, you know, I haven't written any grand essays or anything like that. It means that. nothing, trust me. What I'm saying is, is my interpretations, they, I create things that work for me, and, and I wouldn't presuppose that it, it's the thing that, that it, Lynch and Frost were trying to communicate to a mass audience. I mean, we do this out of the love of the show, and we would be talking about this anyways. And it's been great trying to put these little puzzle pieces together. There's, there's some kind of ego within me that wants to solve it, that wants to come up with something and put it out there or have it a great keeps growing you know, is the problem it's like a it's like a scoby it's like a, a it keeps growing like it's not gonna so you keep coming up with new ideas uh where we were you know a year ago two years ago and where we are now at least for me it's it's evolved and what i did in in uh preparation 
of this podcast uh, was I took screenshots of, of every edit of every scene in part 18. Anytime there's an, an edit, <laughs> How did that I took take? A, four, four nights, four nights, four, four nights. long nights. Jesus yeah. Christ. Yeah. Uh, it Dude. was, I didn't think it was going to be that long. It's like, cause I asked you earlier, Hey, how many you know edits do you think they were? And what did you say? Like 50, 50? 48. Yeah. I, I was like in the same it's vein. I was episode. like, yeah, but it, it's not, there are 455 edits in part 18. And, so at what point did you uh, start regretting this project? Was like day two, you're like, <laughs> Jesus Christ. When I got to the, uh, well, there was 42 in the in the red room kind of to open it. And, uh, and <laughs> just that? But, <laughs> I would have stopped at that. that point. I'd have been like, done, 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 done. So no, what did you once, do? It would be cool to create like an art project out of that, dude. Like, like okay, tell the audience who, uh, how many cuts there are. How many screenshots? Well, there's I, there's 455. and Jesus. About um, 430. Hey, there's going to be 253. And then I was like, oh, there's no way in hell. And then when I was getting towards the end, I was like, hey, it's going to be 430. This is this is going to be a coup. This is going to, was, of course it wasn't, but there's 455. Now that's if my math is right. There's a couple of scenes where there's some really quick edits, especially when um, uh, Cooper and Diane are crossing over. So I tried my best to like count or you know. To so what did you come one. from that 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 project? What did you? What was your takeaway? Well, first of all, the 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 origin of of the idea came from an article or something I came across like years ago. I remember reading, and we may have discussed this at some point because we're both film lovers and we loved Roger Ebert. Well, Roger Ebert, the, the former film critic um, of the Chicago Tribune or Sun-Times. Yeah. But um, we grew up on Siskel and Ebert. That was really kind of the only way back in the day as kids to find out, your, you know, Watch and Peter Travers, Tob. And who was the guy from <laughs> Dallas? Who was the blonde guy that we hated from Dallas? Gary Cogill. Is that right? Am I making <laughs> yeah, that Gary up? Gary Cogill. Gary Cogill yeah. sucked. Uh, he he would do this thing. He would go to like a university or something and and uh, have a discussion on a classic film, whether like a Vertigo or a Casablanca. And what he would do is he would show it like frame by frame or shot by shot, and then they would discuss it like frame by frame or shot by shot. And it was just, I, would go, I remember reading this back in the day going, geez, I would love to go to one of these uh, seminars, just just kind of just be with around people that, that loved film, that just go into the minutia. Because be a nerd. Because I love that. I, I do love yeah. doing that because it is a whole, <clears throat> excuse me, it is a whole new experience. Like when I was putting those shots together, it was another experience of watching part 18. And I, what I also did was I also watched part 18 without the sound. Um, which is another experience. It, it made me focus on like kind of the rhythm of like the cutting, focus on the characters and their, their expressions and their eyes. And I picked up on things that I wouldn't if I had, you know, my earbuds in and I was listening to it, which I, I did as well. But so I had three different experiences watching part 18 in preparation for the show. And <laughs> I also I, I wanted like this is never going to happen. There's no way in hell. I wanted to do the same thing with the shot by shot for all 18 episodes, but there's no way in hell that's going to happen. Well, the pandemic but, may uh, last a couple more years. The pandemic <laughs> may continue, and so you may have the time, Tom. This is the yeah. perfect time to do that project, actually. But <laughs> we're all staring it, it, at the wall. <laughs> and you know what? The, the 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 fascinating thing about the the screenshots of going scene by scene, it was like it was right off the bat. It was the very first scene or very first shot in part 18 is is Mr. C back in the lodge in the red room engulfed in flames. 
And well, should we you know, say should we start should we start the podcast? Are we going to rewatch this thing? And that sure. you could continue on like with this analysis, but we could do it if anybody wants to watch along with us. Let's go to the start. I'm gonna try to get to the. Uh... And so in this episode, we're not going to like you know do the frame by frame, play by play like Tom's talking about now. So we're gonna kind of riff on this episode because there's like. You know, only like eight or nine major scenes, and there's a lot of silence and whatnot. So we're going to kind of just be abstract with our analysis of this episode, and also summing up all of Twin Peaks, right? But are you going to watch it in the background? I'm watching it now. I just turned it on. So anybody wants to watch, Angelo Badalamenti is composed by, edited by Dwayne Dunham. Anybody wants to sync up with me? Then hey, thanks a lot. We're going to watch it together. Yeah, and I'm not going to watch it. I will not want to be just. I'm, I'm outside. I'm inside. <laughs> I, I could bring my uh, other laptop up and set it up, but I don't. I don't want to do that. But I think I was talking a little bit about the the first shot, the the, the striking image of Cooper or Mr. C in the the Black Lodge engulfed in flames, and that, that kind of very striking opening, which kind of evoked the opening of, of part three, I think, when Cooper's falling through space. It'd be a good album cover. You know what I'm saying? Like the Falling Through Space is a good album cover, like a good, like, you know, rock band album cover. Cooper, uh, Mr. C on Fire in the Lodge. I still think the best uh, cover for a rock album is that one shot of, or the picture that Albert showed of Cooper in Rio looking very dapper. (laughs) Yes, dude, that would be like a good, like, yeah, ELO uh, cover, Super Tramp, (laughs) Super Tramp cover. Think, yeah, Yeah. ELO, Super (laughs) Tramp featuring Mr. C. I love it on on keyboards. Yeah, I love it. Mr. C in the lodge would be like Rat or like Quiet Riot, like a Def Leppard maybe, perhaps. You never That's know good. with Lynch. I mean, he goes to extremes. I didn't know that Lynch was such a ZZ Top fan. Apparently, he loves ZZ Top. Oh, That's, That's why Texas. he included Sharp Dressed Man in, in The Return. On the Roadhouse playlist is one of our favorites, Sharp Dressed Man by ZZ Top. Part 17, the middle of it, he's dead. The ring is on his finger poof, he's gone. And then we've got more scenes in the sheriff's station. And then, you know, Cooper goes on his journey eventually to, to save Laura. But seeing that made me think, well, where does this fit chronologically in the narrative of the return? And I know there have been any number of instances uh, where scenes have occurred maybe days in advance or whatever. I think there's that scene in part 13 where Bobby's talking to Big Ed and he says, oh, uh, I got a message from my dad oh, yeah, today. Yeah. And it, that happened like three episodes prior. So and I think a lot of this is editing you know, choices, and it's totally fine. There's nothing mysterious about it. But just thinking about this scene made me think of part 17, that, that, that mysterious part after Cooper says we live inside of a dream, and the scene goes dark. The lights go out, and Coop goes, Gordon? And Gordon says, Coop, and then they wind up in, in the boiler room. What I thought was with that image of Mr. C, maybe the reason the lights are going out is because that is Mr. C like going out that he is, he is basically in flames in the black lodge simultaneously. And that narrative, the thrust of season three has now ended that whole search. We had uh, the blue rose team there. We had the Vegas, you know, the Mitchum brothers and Mandy candy and Sandy. And we had the sheriff's department there. The main three storylines of, Season three was all focused in on the Mr. C narrative. And now that that ended and he's engulfed in flames, 
it's almost like, you know, see you at the curtain call, the lights dim and we're into a new storyline and a new location altogether. So that's for me where that scene fits chronologically. And the first three scenes of part 18, that one. And then when uh, Philip Gerard creates the, the Cooper Tulpa, and then also it goes directly to Cooper going back and saving Laura, all three of those scenes are not only kind of thematically uh, fit with the, the home theme of the Mr. C returning home to the Black Lodge and the Cooper uh, Tulpa going back home, which he says to Vegas and Cooper taking Laura, we're going home, but they all take place in, in three different, I wouldn't say timelines, but chronologically they do not uh, fit together. And it really sets up the theme of not only the whole series, but of what we're going to see unfold in part 18. Well, yeah, when he, when he gets pulled out uh, in 17, when the, 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 the woodsmen are around him and whatnot, he disappears, then he goes into a different timeline. He's in hell or he's in the purgatory. And so we, we, we only pick up on it. It's not uh, linear at all. It's all right. Like you, that's what time I yeah. changes. Once you flip, you're in a different world. There's a lot of redundancy of some of these scenes in the Red Room here at the beginning of Part 18 that we saw in Part 2. But when Lynch is choosing to show the scene in Part 17 of Cooper and Laura, that it's not exactly the same. There's one shot, at least that I could pick up on, that he chose to insert that is different from what we saw in Part 17. And it's interesting because even though it's very subtle, it's Cooper, like there's that, you know, once he, Laura disappears, he looks and he sees the woods and the camera kind of pans back and forth for like seemingly forever. And I remember scre- or pausing it uh, and trying to find like some kind of like, you know, monster Judy hiding in the woods or something. But he includes a scene where there's a shot where Cooper is in frame with the woods, where it's almost like the perspective is happening beyond Cooper, which happens several times in part 18. It's very interesting. There are several shots where the camera changes, where it's behind Cooper, where it's almost like whether you want to think of that as the past or there's a presence lurking, whether it's the headlights following them, uh, you know, on the way to Twin Peaks or the one shot when he's watching the three cowboys accost the, the waitress, the camera cuts behind him. Stop it. Stop! Stop! Leave her alone. You know, you don't see his face. It's almost like a Magritte painting. Could you write down her address for me? Yeah, but, um... It's okay. I'm with the FBI. It's like he's a puppet in his own, like, recycling loop. He's been on this, like, the little girl that lived <laughs> down the lane, choose your own adventure. And like almost like the little the little subtle differences you see in these shots from the early, it's like he's been doing this over and over again. Like I feel like he's taken that drive with Laura a million times in the last twenty five years, and he's failed every time. It's the same fucking cycle, keeps failing. Maybe it's like war games. Like the the solution to the game is not to play the game. Like you should like do that. <laughs> but how did they get to that four hundred and thirty mile marker? It's like I would love to have seen a scene where they found a car. You know, at a specific no, this location. No, like a dream, man. It's a dream. They're in purgatory. No, they're not quite in purgatory. They're they're in their own dream world. But like, I don't think there actually was a moment where they're like, "Well, let's go get a car." And let's the car was just there. Should we get gas? No, the gas is full. Should we drive? Where should we drive? No GPS necessary. I know where we're going, and you just go, and it happens. When I watch the red room scenes, because a lot of them, a lot of the actual images are exactly the same, but when the evolution of the arm says, "Is it the story of the little girl who lived down the lane?" 
it, it mirrors, do you remember your doppelganger? And that instance, the camera zooms in on Cooper and we go into the memory. We see Bob and, and yeah. you know, Mr. C for the first time. In this instance, the camera doesn't do it. It cuts to a shot of the hallway in the, the lodge and it eventually cuts to the whisper and Laura being pulled out. And it made me think, because time is so nebulous or this is a purgatory, that maybe that whole storyline that we saw from episode 2 to 17 is happening concurrent to what is going on right now, like in another avenue of the Lodge. You know, like it's all like it's happening at the same time and it's not happening. It's just there are parts of that Lodge that were, were maybe... Cooper exists, another version of Cooper, or maybe a part of Laura still exists there. Obviously, Leland is there, and God knows who else, but when Cooper sees Leland... It's the same thing, this, right, in 18? Like, it's the same thing for part two or one, right? The same. It's fine, different because Laura. it's shot. It's shot from a different perspective, a different and then take. when Cooper is... Yeah, so every time, he, when, yeah, when he goes on this little girl that lived down the lane, he starts out every fucking adventure with Leland going, save Laura, and he's seen that. That's I think that's he's heard that a million times. Well, that's the last thing he experiences or encounters before his his exit. Well, his presumed yeah. exit. So it's yeah. almost like you know, before he goes into this this hellish journey, he's reminded of you know to to find Laura um, from Leland. But there, there's a shot where he's walking in part 18, approaching Leland, and Lynch is the cameras from the side, and you see the profile of Cooper, and it's a definite Mr. C scowl. I mean, he looks yeah, super he's pissed he's, off. He's very, he doesn't have any of that, like, you know, I am the FBI. None of that in this episode at all, anywhere. There's a little bit of heart when he sees, like, Diane, is it really you? All that stuff. That's really it. After that, they get in the car. He's, like, half C. Well, is it possible that that Mr. C, that whole storyline, once he's returned to the lodge and he no longer exists, is it possible that that, that timeline also is erased? Somehow, and, or it continues or maybe, on forever, and so, or, or somehow in in Cooper's memory, and that's why it's affecting him. There could be a million Mistresses. There could be a million Coopers. Like this could be going to be going on forever. I think. I think Dark's influenced me in terms of like all the different like worlds could be happening, and the fact that if one ends, if you're like Cooper goes on this journey, the little girl that lived in Lane Part Five Thousand, and he leaves, it doesn't work. He fails again. The world itself that he leaves could continue on its own. Like Carrie's in her own. I guess she's in hell. I don't know. We don't know. But uh, do you think Carrie, uh, Paige, Laura, and Audrey are in the same concentric circle of hell, or they, do they have their own circles, their own worlds? I think they would. I think they would have their their own circles. Yeah, I think that Laura is probably much deeper. You should be able to call yeah, each other. Like, hey, it's unfortunate. Oh, I wanted to point hell, out, um, life is hell. <laughs> yeah. Don't you think sure that is. there could have been a whole narrative? Maybe uh, we're in one of those circles, Tom. Maybe life is hell for us. Maybe we're stuck in a fucking the tenth concentric circle. I think that you and I have, you know, been maybe maybe we're a little bit more prepared uh, in dealing with this. I mean, I, I've lived alone for like many years. Yeah, so this isn't really new to me. But I mean, still frustrating no, and, and whatnot. But yeah. yeah, what do you think about the Cooper Tulpa that appears back in Vegas at Janie E's house? Well, I never noticed before is that when. The camera cuts inside the house. You see Janie E and Sonny Jim eventually from behind, and it kind of zooms in on Cooper at the front door. But she's wearing the same exact outfit she did when we first saw her in part three. <laughs> yeah. I don't think she wore that outfit ever again. So Lynch made a conscious choice to dress her in the very same outfit that she wore the very first time. And 
the 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 original Cooper, the Dougie Jones, I think had been missing for like three days, and he had missed Sonny Jim's birthday. So is it possible? Maybe with he all came this back whole... on Sonny Jim's birthday. Maybe that was it. He said, "I'm gonna send you back on the exact day." So he shows up uh, in part three instead of being gone for three days. He shows up on time. Exactly. Is that possible? Yeah, yeah uh, totally. I think so. Why well, even well, start the you... agony? Like, it's gonna be a good life for him. But let's let's start before he fucks up the birthday thing. And uh, it's not, <laughs> yeah, it's and it plays into the whole thing about you mentioned like the dream, and I think it's much deeper than that. But like how he appeared back on that doorstep. I mean, that could have been a whole series right there. The you know trials and tribulations of the Cooper Tulpa making his journey. Well, dude, this kind of ties into the, my idea that like okay, Cooper creates these little worlds. He had the Tulpa world. He had his own little different little lanes, million lanes, looking for the little girl. And like in this Tulpa world where Dougie was, he Dougie left. But the world continues on, you know what I'm saying? So it's like you're you're like the 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 Janie E and all these different versions of herself are left to suffer without Dougie, or left to live what live life, you know, after he leaves. And so he comes back in this one. I like it. Well, it's a tidy ending, right? And it it, it it's it great. I actually with... cry. Like, I, when he left her in part 16 in the, in the casino, I, I wept. It's great. It's emotional. It was one of the highlights of very good of, uh, of yeah. season three, I thought, yeah. but. Uh, yeah, so it, that whole thing of, of the beginning of part 18, it's like because Philip Gerard shows up in part 17 to lead him to Philip Jeffries. So when did he take the time to create the Cooper Tulpa? That's what I was trying to figure out, the whole chronology of it. And you, you can't. There's not enough information. What you can do is you can you know come up with your own interpretation. And I don't think that it's, as you said earlier, linear. But I think that if Mr. C returns to the Black Lodge, that, in theory, allows Cooper to leave, but Cooper is still in the Lodge while his tulpa is out in Vegas, at least chronologically from what we're seeing in Part 18. So it's all, you know, you know, very murky and strange and mysterious, and I think that was the intent. Obviously, I, I like the one man has a tulpa creating machine. He can just create them out of the seeds. He's Diane, him, anybody. Seem pretty easy. This I don't think he eyes. created Diane, though, right? Well, someone does. People can obviously do it. You know what I'm saying? There's probably lots of tulpas we don't even know about that are out there right now, Tom. Like, <laughs> well, the whole thing with Diane, and that's, we could talk about Diane. I mean, I could talk, I really could talk about the Red Room for like another hour. There's so many things in here, but we, we have to discuss other aspects of Part 18. The Diane well, notion. We're at the, we're at the scene where we're at the motel. So for following along, that she's oh, just you were there the already. Motel, right <laughs> there. Yeah, and she's looking she at that. Gonna... It, yeah, he walked in. You never saw like him go and actually order, get the, get the room. She just It's all from her perspective, sitting outside, watching. And she doesn't look happy. And then, boom, her doppel shows up. And it's like sense memory. She's like, remember? Remember what he did to you? Last what? time you were at a motel? Or last time you were in bed <laughs> together? She's like, oh, shit. Well, there's a couple of things with, with, with this. Um, part two and part 18 have some very, very, very strange coincidences. Um, Mr. C, they're, they're, okay, so there's a diner scene in, in, in both parts two and 18. In part two, Mr. C is talking to Ray and Daria, and it's all about what he wants. He wants those coordinates. He's looking for a particular location. Not what he needs. Well, there's... There's a diner scene in part 18 where Cooper is looking for the coordinates, so to speak, of, of Laura Palmer. There's a motel room scene in part two and uh, with a redhead, uh, Daria. And there's also a room number seven where Chantel is, where he has sex with her eventually. That is the motel room where Cooper and Diane have sex. 
But it is oh. like the same trope, the Lynchian trope we're in, the different worlds. You're talking about like there being Daria, Redhead, in a hotel. It's like the same journeys he's taking, like as Mr. C or as him in this Black Lodge on these different timelines. Yes, I completely agree. The car is exactly the same. The same black, I think it's a Lincoln Town car, is exactly the same. And then the Palmer House uh, uh, at the end, the first time we see it is at the end of part two and obviously plays a big part here in part 18. And I think what we're seeing in part two is it really, and that's why I love it so much, it really focuses on Cooper in the lodge and Mr. C out in the real world. And what Mr. C is doing is that he's trying to attain these coordinates and find what is on that playing card, presumably the extreme negative force, Judy, Judy. or a location. And the same thing is happening in part 18, but it's, it's, it's Laura. And it makes me think that all of Mr. C's uh, shenanigans of trying to find that specific location, I think what he, where he wound up was correct. I think those locations to that portal of the, the White Lodge or the Fireman's Mansion, whatever you want to call it, is correct, but he didn't have one piece of information that was very important that I think Cooper had, that I think somehow was kept from him, because I think we we kind of agree that they, they share what the same it? memories. It's the 430. It's like from that location and 430 miles to, you know, God knows where else, that is where he needed to go or wanted to go. And I think what we're seeing in part 18 is Cooper's got the correct information because he was taking Laura, I think, to the White Lodge because Lynch cut to that scene of that portal But it there. wasn't the correct information in the end. I mean, hell, did work. No, well, maybe, no, but that's what I think maybe 430 is. I think maybe, and that's why the, the fireman was so stern with Cooper. Maybe all of that, what the fireman can do is that, you know, he obviously can you know, manipulate certain things. He obviously swiped the Palmer home in part 17. He trapped Mr. C. But, you know, from his original uh, character in the in this in, in season two, he was helping Cooper along. Like, hey, I'll give you some clues or whatever. He didn't want to actively uh, change certain events. I think he only does that when he absolutely has to. And or maybe if, there, if a negative force is at play. But with Cooper, I think is 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 kind of he's fucked things up so much that what the fireman is telling him, okay, yeah, remember four three zero, excuse me, Richard Alinda and two birds with one stone. But I'm super pissed that this even exists right now because it is in our house now, and you are to blame, buddy. And I think that's what we're seeing unfold is maybe four three zero is a hell, a universe that shouldn't have existed, and somehow Cooper's you know, experiences through God knows what, how many storylines and iterations has somehow concocted or created this Judy verse, or maybe that's where Judy already existed and none of the major players, especially Laura needed to be there. And Cooper somehow fucked up and Coop and Laura wound up there and he has to go in. So maybe that's what I think 430 represents. I think it represents a, a place that, that the firemen, does not want Cooper to go into, but knows that he has to because he's responsible for its creation. Or maybe it's something that he doesn't, you know, he, that he can't even deal with himself. He can only try to advise Cooper because there is no fireman presence in part 18 or any other spirits outside of the red room appear in part 18. There's only the, the electrical pole and the, the reference well, to the Tremont Wonder Man. and Chalfont. But not outside of the lodge. Oh, yeah. Once he gets out, once Cooper leaves, it's like he's on his own. And I think that is the fireman's kind of 
message slash warning to him. It's like, you're going to be on your own. Remember this, buddy. You're far away. Like, you might think you know what's going on, but you're not even close to solving this riddle. Yeah, it does feel like the giant and the one-armed man are both, like, really, like, you know, they've had it. They're teachers. They're, they're instructing their students. Like, they're giving them the clue, like, <laughs> is it the little girl that lived down the lane? And he's like, remember 430? He's like, they've, he's been in class, and he's like, he's flunked a thousand times, and he's back for the same fucking lesson. And they're both just, like, exasperated with him because he keeps failing. Well, well, Cooper is. I don't always think it's the first been... time. You know what I'm saying? I feel like I, I, I right. really still after the rewatch, I feel like it's been going on for a long time. An infinite loop of this shit. Well, let's talk about Diane. That section or whatever is that. Uh, you know, there's a little murkiness with her, you know, her intention. I mean, I think you lay it out very well, especially once they cross over and go in into the motel room. Um, but before that, like why she, why it was her who appeared outside of. Glastonbury Grove. Why Cooper asked her if she remembered everything? I mean, was this all part of a plan? I'd even mention that. I'd be like, yeah, keep that. Well, I mean, but did did that happen somehow before the events of season three, like twenty five years ago, when Cooper, Cole, and Briggs came up with this? Did Cooper somehow engage Diane? Like, when was she privy to this knowledge? Or what I think might happen, or might have happened, is that because she was tolpid just like, you know, Cooper in a sense, you know, being, you know, having a doppelganger is that she maybe shares those memories. She knows what was going on during Mr. C's trials and tribulations during the nineties and the aughts or whatever, because she was his confederate. So maybe she knows because of her prior experiences, you would think that this would be a solo endeavor for Cooper. Like he doesn't really need Diane to go find Laura. Why is he bringing her along when she seems so reluctant I think it's like a nightmare. Uh, like he had the one person he loved and, and tore and raped and really like other than Audrey, like that she has to deal with his demon. Like she's his past, you know, like, and he's like, it's a big reminder. You can't come out of this clean, buddy. But you've been going to your <laughs> doppelganger dark side for the last 25 years. Well, let's bring Diane back to remind you exactly what you did. And it seems like it is punishment in a way. I feel like it's not even, she's, it's almost like she's not even there. Cause they like Lynch did not give her enough agency like they gave, he gave her a surrealistic, like, you know, impressionistic scene where she's, you know, seeing her doppelganger outside of her, her shadow self outside of the hotel. But you don't really, she's just in and out. And it's almost like she's just like an avatar of his past. Like she's not even there. You thought she well, was. Which, but that was kind of like the big the letdown. You're like, oh, my God, they're together again. We've never seen real Diane and real Cooper together. You're back. It's us. We're a team. We're going to do this. But as soon as they cross over, it's almost been shattered. And she's not even there anymore. And like maybe she was never there. Because Lil, when she comes back, that scene in 17, when she turns in from Naito to Lil to... That seems not good. It doesn't seem good. He probably killed the real Diane in real life. She's probably dead. Mr. C or or Mr. C, whenever he raped her and put her in the lodge or whatever, created the tulpa, she may be dead already. I think that what we're seeing in part 18 with the whole motel scene might evoke uh, that that journey that she had with Mr. C before he tulpa'd her. And I, I don't yeah. think that it seems like thing, watching yeah. this that they are puppets. There's like a marionette. There's someone kind of putting the strings, like leading them, because it seems very mechanical. Like when they go in the motel room, like okay, what what, yeah, do, we what do, do we now? do now? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. she's your own adventure. What do we do now? What do we? We're here again. It's like once we cross, it could all be different. Well, you know, there's a presence here, kind of like manipulating them, and and it evokes what I think happened what you said 
of the rape uh, between Mr. C and and Diane. That's why that sex scene is so. I mean, it's it's very it's very disturbing. It was disturbing on original. Uh, viewing, but even more so now. But there is a little bit of a, just like kind of like Blue Velvet, like watching Blue Velvet over time. Sometimes it's not like I'm laughing during the rape scene of like Dorothy and Frank, but I mean, he's going, <laughs> I mean, I mean, there's I some help comedy there. Yeah, I, can't help yeah. I mean, I, I understand the, the, the context of the scene. It's not a funny situation, but that's, I think, what Lynch, why he is so unique as a filmmaker is he's able to, you know, put some other subtleties in otherwise disturbing scenes to kind of give it, you know, different, like, you know, an experience or expression or perspective. And when she has his hands over his face in part 18, I mean, it's, it's like, absurd. It's, it's like, hilarious, it's but like, it puts the, it puts funny. a point on it. He puts a nosy. He's like, okay, now that this is what this is about. She can't have sex with him right now. It's all, she can't forget, you know, and that's it. And he's like so cold and robotic and weird. And Mr. C like when he's staring up at her and stuff, it's a, it's horrible. It's almost like another rape in a way. Well, do you think that Diane is able to get out of that hellscape or is she trapped in the 430 universe as Linda? Well, I'd like to think that she took off and she found some other escape, that she's been stuck in there and that she was like a, you know, time traveler like, uh, you know, Major Briggs and him and like Philip Jeffries and that somehow she's got some agency here and is able to escape that she did not die whenever he got raped and stuck her in the lodge and replaced her with a tulpa. I like to think, I like to see season four be a, that'd be a good storyline. That'd be cool. That never happens. Yeah, where Diane is, right? Yeah, where's Diane? For me, it's the the mystery of the note. And it's interesting to, to note that I think there was a, a recent book that came out, Conversations with Mark Frost. I haven't read it yet, but I've, I've read little excerpts here and there. And I think that the Richard and Linda thing was a Lynch creation very late in the game. And Frost has no idea who the hell Richard and Linda are. It was something Lynch came up with. It wasn't built into the the, the narrative that they collaborated on. So <laughs> I, I think that at times that Lynch is, he, you know, like, and there's also something, I don't know if we even talked about this. Maybe we did, but on the, the latest box set, there's more behind the scenes footage. And in part 17, when Cooper says we live inside of a dream, there's additional dialogue that he cut out. And what he cut out was, I hope to see, each and every one of you again in that dream. I mean, it's on the nose. What he's saying is like, hey, this yeah, is all a dream. And yeah. Lynch cut that out. And I think what happens sometimes is like when Lynch is on the set and he's looking at the script and about to block a scene that he might think, okay, this might be a little too on the nose. And yes. he, you know, I agree he and I he think he takes a little that, bit of the explanation oh. out. So you're, you're not going to explain it. I'll give you an artistic ending, but I'm going to take out the full Frostian explanation, like dark. I'm not going to give you the, the answer. You got to figure it for yourself, right? And something like a Richard Alinda that you know came up late in the game. It's something that is super mysterious that a lot of people are trying to figure out. And so you know, aces to to Lynch for doing that. It's just I don't think since it wasn't maybe built into the narrative. I think maybe you can infer that since she saw her doppelganger, that maybe that is Linda. Maybe that's another name for her tulpa. Well, maybe like Diane could not even face the fact that fucking Dale Cooper, the nicest guy in the world, raped her. And tortured her so she had to like create this fictional scenario where he was Richard and she was Linda like that didn't happen to me that wasn't Dale that was Richard and Linda where that happened to it was like a separate and almost like all the uh, leads and the clues about what who Richard and Linda were throughout the series led to this episode right now and that that letter and that note that they in this moment they are Richard and Linda and that that's what happened is uh, Richard raped Linda in her mind 
Right. And, you know, it's the naming of it with Richard being the son of Mr. C, the byproduct of a rape with Audrey um, and playing into the theme of identity, which is you know always in, in, in most of Lynch's films, is that what we're seeing with Cooper here in part 18. I mean, how many Coopers have we seen in part 18? We've got the, the doppelganger. We've got the Tulpa. We've got the Cooper in the lodge. And then we've got the one that crosses four. over. I mean, we yeah, four, maybe even five. Um so, you know, before the crossover and then after the crossover. Yeah, so there's, you know, it, it plays into the identity because Cooper thinks he's Dale Cooper. That's the whole thing. When I read, like, hey, he's Richard, I think that's, you know, Diane's interpretation. And maybe it's because she can't face the fact that her white knight is the same person that, you know, raped her, you know, 20 years prior. And she's, you know, and, and brought her to a motel to re experience that, whether that, uh, that they were being manipulated or not, it still happened. But Cooper still thinks he's Dale Cooper. He does not the whole at Judy's though. Like I would think, like when he's at Judy's and he beats up the Texans, which is happening right now. It seems like he goes into like he's Richard. He's Mister Richard Cooper. That's what Mister C's first name is. You know what I'm saying? Like he's not Dale. He doesn't say like he goes. I'm with the FBI, but he doesn't say like federal agent, special agent Dale Cooper. He's not Cooper at that moment. You know, so he's a little bit of Richard. Like maybe going. Well, he like, is right after yeah. that, and at the Palmer House, who's so saying that maybe there's a little hiccup there. It feels um, like at the end he's back to being Cooper himself. You know what I'm saying? It feels like he's back to like when it, when he goes to see Laura after he leaves the whole Diane thing and takes uh, does this thing where, at Judy's where he beats up those guys and he's being a great white knight. But then it turns into like he's almost like holding up the the diner. He's like, "Give me that name of that woman you know, that works here," and that's like illegal. He's asking for illegal. He's got a gun in his hand. He's like he's kind of menacing them. And that's something that the real Cooper would never do. But somehow when he leaves and goes back out and tries to gets back to his original uh, mission, which is the little girl that lived down the lane, he's back to at least being more Cooper. And I feel like at the end when he's like, do you recognize that house? Like he's like, when you see, <laughs> like I think that's back to being Cooper. It's an evolution. Yeah, but we also had, we also had a whole nighttime drive with Laura where he didn't say one word or even look at her one time. Yeah, that's weird. It's not, that's not, the, that's not, that's so he's kind of vacillating yeah. between this, Richard persona and and Cooper and I think it's because of the world in in which he's found himself and the whole mystery of of Judy of who Judy is I mean that's a whole different you know thing that we could discuss but the fact that he is in Judy's diner you know that is named Judy's I think is affecting him and he's seeing a a, a violent episode of, of the, the three cowboys accosting the, the waitress. And I think he's uncertain of what, what might be around the, you know, the, another corner or what might come up, you know, from out back. I think he's just being like super cautious, but I also think, I think that he's it's an amalgam, too. amalgam of, of what, since he has crossed over, since that storyline of Mr. C is now ended, it's, he's been assimilated that it, it pops up. It's almost like, you know, fight. We, we all have those experiences where we say and do things. It's like, oh, my God, why did I why did I do that? Why did why did I say where did that come from? I think it's all inherent within us. It's just that even Cooper is is uh, is not immune to something like that. And I think he's being influenced because I think where we're at, even though it's a real world location of Odessa and uh, Twin Peaks is a fictional house, but it's you know in a you know it's not super it, it doesn't it's not perceived as supernatural but i think that whatever world this is the motel the diner carrie's house and ultimately the palmer house is 
a, a very malignant, a very dark world. And I think it's tied into what the log lady was saying. I think that if you could look up to the moon, maybe you would see the little Judy symbol up there. That this really is a world, whether it's a hell or a world where, where you know, a timeline where the Judy existed and, you know, the, the, the bugs, you know, the bug army, they're, they're all around. The cowboys are bug people, everything. That this is a world that is unlike any part of Twin Peaks that we have seen before. And that's why it's so fascinating to me is we only get like 30, 40 minutes of it, but we have our two, you know, major characters of the whole world of Twin Peaks and they're unsure of their own identities and Cooper's uncertain of what, you know, he should be doing. And, and ultimately he fails and, and, and Laura herself, whether she wakes up or not, recognizes that the pain and trauma of, of her past all come back at the very end and whether she's blowing the lights out of this pocket universe or we go back to part two that's an interesting thing is that part two part of me wants to believe with the whole like weird cyclical nature of twin peaks and the fuzzy timelines and everything is that the very first image we see of the palmer house in part two before we go into sarah it's very dark and it mirrors exactly the very end shot of the Palmer House being in the dark. A part of me wants to think that when when Sarah is drinking her Bloody Mary and watching, you know, Marlon Perkins' Wild Kingdom on TV, that when she makes that strange face, like, what the hell? I, you know, something's going on here. That she's actually hearing Laura scream in Part 18. And that sets off her own, you know, evolution of something happened to me and taking her face off saying, I'll eat you, is that... And because there are all these connections with part two and identity and timelines and all like kind of like lost highway, like the Mobius strip, it all kind of comes back at, to a certain point and you can, you know, starting positions, you can start over again. I think some people talked about this when it first came out, but like 18, it almost seems like there's an, there's a, an argument to be made that like he's, that they're in the real world. Like the very, the final scene, they drive by the double R that looks like the double R now they go to the, the Palmer house who lives there the person that actually lives in the house like they're in the real world you know what I'm saying and so that you're saying this malignant world that they were taken to that there's uh, maybe that's the world we're in now which kind of ties into what we're living in like maybe we are in hell and that Twin well, Peaks I think, is telling us that <laughs> I think we are in hell but the one thing that punches a hole in that theory for me is that if it was the real world I think Lynch and this might have been something that would have been too on the nose but I think that would have actually been Mary Reber. Like my name is Mary Reber, not Alice Tremont. Oh yeah, I think. Yeah. And also, if, he was a, me, if it was the real world and they were in Judy's and he beat up those uh, cowboys, they definitely would have followed him out in a truck and tried to kill him. <laughs> so that's clearly not. Yeah, right. because yeah. we've had some personal experiences. Yeah, we've been in chased Texas. by guys just like the, that many times. <laughs> yeah. Way less. Way less. Yeah. So that that's the one thing about like the part eighteen, the whole meta thing that doesn't really like work for me, and it's it's. There's another thing with the connections between part two and part 18. There's a lot of connections with the prologue of, of Firewalk with me uh, and part 18 as well, whether it's the Chalfont, the electricity pole, you know, the redhead Lil and Diane, um, the 430, the, the autopsy of Teresa Banks takes place at 430. And where's the body? It's out back in our morgue. It's 4.30, we close at 5. We have our own clock, we're locked up. Yeah, the longer this pandemic goes on and all the hell that's happening, our country melting down, like the longer I'm gonna, or the more I'm gonna believe that they are actually in the real world right now. 
But yeah, think about this. If, like, if he had said uh, once they crossed over, and she goes, when we cross over, it may be different. Like, you cross over, it says, like, present day. You know what I'm saying? Like, 2020 or whatever it is. So he could, like, actually show the world they're in the real world. I bet you, because uh, people would have been like, whoa, that was really cool, man. Like, that would have been something that actually hooked in, like, these, these pundits and uh, bloggers and whatnot. They might have liked that. And it could have tied in. It could have been even more prescient because uh, the world has descended into hell since the end of that series. Like who's driving? They're driving on the highway right now. Who's the little headlights behind them? They could, it could very easily be Donald Trump or Stephen Miller instead of <laughs> Like they're coming for us. The, end, the end's coming, friend. <laughs> yeah, it's a obviously you know every day there's a new article. It's like what the hell? Where are we living? What world? Yeah, is we, this? we're in a yeah yeah exactly. Could be. Yeah, and this this Could world of a party team that that whole nighttime drive. It made when I was watching it again. It made me think I have a, a personal experience. Back in 2003, my girlfriend was living in L.A. and she, I was living in Austin and she, she uh, flew back to Austin and we put our things together and our dogs and we drove out to, to L.A. And I, I had to, as soon as, as, as we got back to L.A., I had to get in my car and go to Vegas because my dad was sick. So it was going to be this whole like just real, you know, just excruciating like, you know, journey and a lot of emotions going on. And I wasn't really looking forward to it. I wasn't really in a good headspace. And for some, it's very strange. Like my memory, my whole memory of that journey happened at night. I don't, because obviously going from Austin to LA, it takes like, you know, 20 hours or whatever. So, you know, we, we, and I don't remember stopping off anywhere. If for my memory, it was this extended nighttime journey. And I had to drive the whole way because as soon as we got in my car, uh, the car, my girlfriend at the time, cracked the seal of a little E&J bottle, Chardonnay, and started drinking, which meant that she couldn't drive. So I had to drive. So I was like Cooper. She went with part... you? I didn't know that. <laughs> yeah, she, yeah, she, well, so she, she was back there? from L- wow. Tracy was oh, there. Oh, going to yeah. L- that's your, Okay, you weren't going to your dad's though. You're saying that you're going to. No, I had to go straight to LA. And yeah. then once we unpacked all of our furniture and boxes, I got right in my car at like four o'clock in the morning and drove straight to Vegas. Now I remember driving to Vegas. I remember the daytime there, but that whole, journey to LA. I was like Cooper. I didn't want to like look at my girlfriend. I didn't want to talk to my girlfriend. I was just gripping the wheel and I just wanted to get there. And I have no memory of the sun ever coming up. It was just a strange, dark nighttime journey. I've had, I've had it made me remind me of all the times that I've thought somebody was following me. <laughs> like, uh oh, who are those lights? Oh boy. Carrie Page, Laura okay. Palmer. Has she been there since she got plucked out of the woods as a 17 year old yes or she got plucked out she's 17 i think that she's been stuck there and her and she's had to live her life and this is uh the reality i think she's been around so for that a was while the- too like i don't think that she like just got plopped down and she was there for a week it feels like she's been in this world as carrie page her entire life you know what I'm saying? Mean, entire like, life or just since 17 because well since when 17 she like the she, accent? Re- she was rebirthed perhaps or something i, I don't know how it would work in terms of the, the physics of it but that the, the Judy brought her into this either hell or a pocket universe, and she had to live her life for many years, and she's been beaten down. And it's very similar to what Laura's real trajectory was in the real world, but it was, it was, it was just, it was hell. And that she, she doesn't, and like she does start to remember her past life or whatever it is, but I think that she's been there for a long fucking time. Okay, yeah, because obviously she developed an accent over time. Yeah. And she has right. these memories of Odessa. She could be faking Originally, it. She could be faking it. She could be faking mm-hmm. it. Originally, I thought that she was pulled out of the lodge in part two. And like, you know, Cooper is Dougie. She has spent like a week 
in 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 uh, in Vegas and assumed the identity of Carrie Page, who happened to be a, a, a waitress at a diner uh, called Judy's. But now, you know, that I've watched it again and some time has passed, and you know, discussing it with you, I think I think that's all very valid. Um, but it, it makes me think like it's it, it, Judy is not as Judy to give Judy that kind of power. You know, I mean. Judy is so mysterious that what is Judy's intention? It seems like, I mean, she's an extreme negative force and maybe that's all Judy is. It's not necessarily a person. Um, maybe it's you know, something like, you know, the devil or whatever, but why wouldn't she want to just eliminate Laura Palmer? Why would she just pop her, plop her down in some place in Texas? And like, you know, maybe she just wanted to let her suffer some yeah, more. Yeah, she's sadistic, that, yeah. You're making but maybe You're it's something, maybe it's something different. It's that Judy is not responsible. It's all Cooper. It's the white knight. And his going back in time and saving her disrupted that timeline, that the normal ebb and flow of time, uh, the normal flow of time, and that 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 fucked things up, and somehow created an alternate timeline and world. And there's always been a question of like, if Laura, I mean, we saw a doppelganger in the original series that whole painting thing of going in the painting. You know, we have multiple Coopers, we have multiple Dianes. It's very realistic that there are multiple Laura Palmers, but at the same time, I want to believe that this is Laura Palmer because I think that diminishes, you know, her pain and suffering, that Laura's story, and I really believe Lynch feels that that is sacred. Laura Palmer is sacred. I think that that's why there's no real inference that there, there is or anything that's on the nose, excuse me, that she is a Tulpa. Because I think her pain and her suffering and her experiences are at the heart of what you know the Twin Peaks storyline represents, and and creating some kind of other alternate reality for that I think diminishes the impact. And that ending for me is more powerful, thinking that it's this person who somehow either forgot or suppressed everything that happened as Laura Palmer comes back. All those images in just one fell swoop and that's what that scream represents that is what i want to believe because there's a power in that but there are still so many mysteries about you know who she is and what you know did she kill that guy was that guy did was there did a bob orb like explode out of his stomach she there was some kind of guy. yeah she did <laughs> it's like repeating she's, been, she's repeating the same shit she's getting tortured by men men are like, haunting her they're the demons in both realities and I do. I agree with you. I think that the, she, this is the original Laura Palmer, or that it feels like that it is her, and that she's living a different life. But like, there's not a million different. I mean, there could be like in the theory that he's living this over and over again, and that would be equally painful. Like, because every Laura and every reality is Laura. You know what I mean? So it's not like it just diminishes it. It's just that it's fucked. It's fucked up. And some Lauras have you know worse fates than others, but they're all bad. It doesn't seem like there's any reality where it's good. Although maybe season well, four, like if it yeah. tells different, but uh, well, it always troubled me that she's that she seemed kind of like a rube, you know. She didn't know, you know, DC, like Washington, DC. <laughs> I like that. that she did, I mean, it's I like <laughs> it. Sorry, yeah. It's comical, but uh, and I like the interpretation of it. But thinking you know deeper upon it, maybe it's like for her, like ignorance is bliss. That's that, what I think. You know, she, yes, I agree. Yeah. Yes, that's what it, she had to block create it this. Yeah, yeah, block it out, and she, you know, really just kind of like you know, like allowed maybe the surroundings. Like we know, Odessa, um, that West Texas is I'm sure there's a lot of smart people out there, or whatever. But it is kind of like a wasteland, and maybe she the 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 environment itself she just let like you know wash over her, 
and the culture, the lack thereof. And she just let that part of her past recede into some deep, dark place within her and became this Carrie Page. I, I, I would love, I mean, there's so many possibilities that she knew that she was Laura Palmer. She finds herself like in Odessa as a 17 year old, an unfamiliar uh, place, does not want to go to Twin Peaks because she knew that she was going to die and she knows what was at her home. So she's just going to make the most of it. And what she does is she creates this identity, Carrie Page. And you see her go to, you know, whatever government office to like change her name to Carrie Page. And over time, all of her experiences and, you know, the men that she, you know, because you know, I mean, that's the whole thing about like abuse. It's a cycle of abuse and, and whatnot, how it affects like individuals. And some people, they become abusers themselves or they, 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 they continue to experience abuse or be, it plays out in every moment that she's on the screen because even though she's not talking to Cooper, it's, it's these expressions, it's the face of the things that she's not saying, at least for me, it comes across. And that's what makes it so powerful. Part 18 so powerful. It's like the silence, like here we are, Cooper, Laura, the two like, you know, icons of Twin Peaks together, you know, alive, we think, I mean, it could be hell. They could both be dead. One person be dead. Who the hell knows? But they're together at least. And you would think, I mean, at some point, like with Lynch's, you know, capacity to throw a little curveball into like, you know, the moment and the mood, excuse me, throw a little curveball into the moment and, 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 and create like an alternate mood. I would have loved a little like two or three minute scene of Cooper, like telling him a little, telling her a little anecdote about Twin Peaks in like 1990 or the red room or something, you know, it would have been, not it would have correct. given them power and agency over their moment. It's like, they're stuck, they're stuck in this, like their simulation. Like they can't even like break out of it and like say, Whoa, this is fucked up. Like the, like in the very first scene, you know, where, where, where he comes out of the lodge and like, is it you? It's you. Like it's, they're real. They can actually like say, Hey, we're experiencing this fucked up shit. Like, Holy shit. And connect as human beings, but they're unable to in this world. They just have to play out the fucking, the script. And hope that it changes, and hope that he does. He's, he's figured it out this time, but it's not the same fucking script. And maybe you know, like Dark talks about this, like different worlds and stuff. Like you're, you're, are, are you born, and do you actually have agency over your life, or are you like doomed to this fate? Like you know, you're gonna hit by get hit by a truck in one life. You're gonna get hit by a cement truck, or like fall off a boat. Like whether, no matter whatever the reality is, you're doomed or you're not, and that your fate is decided for you. Like that's an interesting idea. Maybe Laura's fate has been decided for her. Because we don't get to see, go inside her head, just like Diane, she's kind of like a, a pawn or a part of this, um, but not. You don't really get to, you know. It, it's it's very opaque. It's like she's a different. Well, person. we actually do yeah. get to go inside Laura's head, and we see the blinding white light in part two, but that just opens up a whole. That's other definitely history. literally inside her head. <laughs> <laughs> I know. Yeah. I know. Yeah, that's a big thing. I mean, the whole thing with the firemen creating the the Laura orb and it being the homecoming picture of just kind of this iconography of Twin Peaks. Um, I don't think it was, you know, like a, an egg to be implanted into Sarah Palmer. I think it's more kind of like a symbol. It's really one of the first things we see over the opening credits. And, uh, and I think that what Lynch and Frost are, are doing and some of the things that they talked about when they were creating season three is they wanted to show different facets of relationships between you know certain characters and something is as as minor as the ashley judd character and her husband i mean that scene is a little jarring it's like why are we going to see like her home life what is it i totally forgot about that entire storyline until you reminded me i totally forgot yeah, that they were I, even I mean, the show. It's, yeah. 
There's an interesting connection between her Polish character. accountant. I'll never forget Tom. Polish accountant. Well, you'll never yeah. forget the Polish accountant. But that. the Beverly character, I think her last episode is part 12, and the, the, or part 11 maybe. And then I think the next episode is when we have Audrey. I don't think that, that Audrey and, and Beverly are ever on screen during the same episode. I think the, the Beverly character, you know, her, her arc ends, and then we see Audrey. But I think there are similarities between Audrey or Beverly and her husband. Obviously, her husband is a little, it's jealous of her and, and their relationship, even though he's sick, it's, uh, it's dysfunctional, just like the Audrey and Charlie relationship is dysfunctional. Just like, you know, Laura's relationship probably with whoever that, that man was in, in her house was dysfunctional. I mean, I think that plays a big part into uh, season three relationships, not the personal relationships of Mark Frost and David Lynch, but how they're perceiving the world or what they see uh, as uh, characteristics in, in all of us. And it really is this, this, this great tapestry and it really all condenses and comes down to like, you know, Cooper and Laura at the end here in part 18 trying to find out like who they are and where they fit into this particular world or, or maybe Cooper trying to take her home, which is a very uh, noble endeavor. But what is his intention? I mean, that is that is still one of the greatest mysteries is like, are, is he going to just drop her off? It's Sarah. There you go. And then walk off into the sunset. It's like the whole two birds with one stone of killing something is that we thought originally that maybe it was like this is Laura's dream her dream world and the goal is to wake up from that dream and if it's happening maybe in 1990 or at some other point that a lot of this mess that Cooper at least experienced will will disappear and life will go back like it used to be but it can never be that way and, and but I, I think it's 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 deeper than that it could be as simple as the fact that this was just a mistake you know like you were saying with fate yeah, dude. Laura, I mean, he goes like, "What year is this?" Like, I think that's true. Like, she should have said, "What year is it?" We don't know, but like, I think that it was the wrong year. He was in the wrong timeline, and that he attempted. He thought that he was, uh, you know, going to be able to change something here, and that it was. It, he fucked it up, and he's tried to. He did not. He was like another entitled white man who thought he had some ideas <laughs> and thought he could just solve it with this charm and, and yeah. uh, quick wit, and he fucked it up. He fucked it up. That's yeah, it. I don't the script just that, faded to black, dude. Like so. Well, you have to talk balance. about the final scene. I mean, like that's the the whole. What year is this? I mean, the fact that Alice Tremond is in that house and the previous owner was Chalfont suggests that Sarah Palmer never lived in that house. That's why I think it's a different world altogether. I mean, that the when they passed the double R diner, what we saw in the preceding episodes was the double R to go. And that doesn't exist. This is, I mean, it's very obvious. It's a, it's a different timeline. And the fact that when he leaves the motel room, we didn't talk about this, but when he leaves the motel room, it's a different motel room altogether. They very well may not have been in Odessa. Who the hell knows where they were? And when he comes out, you know, and it's a different car. I mean, it's almost like, I mean, did they really yep. shoot that stuff in Odessa? Like when he drives up to her house, it looks at like the trees and the number six sign. It looks like it's in California. It doesn't look like Texas. It's trees. all in California. Yeah, it doesn't look like, does the trees do not look like Texas. Yeah, okay. Everything other than, I mean, they shot a lot on location in Twin Peaks, but everything outside, like Buckhorn and everywhere else, that, like when they went to the zone, when Cooper and Albert went to the zone with Tammy, that was in California. Everything is in California. So Carrie's house is in California. Mm-hmm. So yeah, so whatever this world is, it's almost like it it did change or morph it's almost like the convenience store it's like you know where it was you know you're walking down the hallway and 
Lynch would superimpose like the woods. And it makes me think of the scenes in the the woods with Jerry and Steven and Gersten where, you know, they were hearing and seeing things. It's almost like maybe I always thought maybe it was the convenience store or the lodge that was somehow penetrating that reality. But maybe it's this 430 world. You know, maybe that is the ultimate, like, you know, evil, the the ultimate, like, hell. It's hell. And it's not just and, the and, ultimate hell, it's hell. Yeah, it's, hell. <laughs> it's literally hell. hell. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I mean, that, and I think that's another reason why I think Cooper notices it. He, I mean, he's he's no dummy. I think he, when he recognizes when he leaves the hotel, he turns around and he looks, and he, it's like it's on his face. Uh, that was not the place where Diane and I, Diane and I drove up. I woke up in the same room, but when I leave the room, it's a whole different location altogether. And I think that's affecting uh, him throughout the rest of the, the that this particular episode and why he's different in Judy's diner and, and when he meets Carrie and on the drive is that what's going to happen next? Who's following him? He has no idea. I mean, he really is flying blind in this world that maybe is a product of what he created or what, you know, what he did, he, the events of saving Laura somehow either created this world or influenced it or energized it or something. But the fact that we don't get a convenience store, we don't get a Judy other than the diner, we don't get a Bob, we don't get a Philip Gerard, a fireman, many of our supernatural presences, the only thing what we really get after the lodge scene is the number six electrical pole. And, you know, and that's the six. And does that six tie into, do you remember uh, Nido's scene when she didn't want him to go through that first socket? It had 15. Yeah. She's like, no, no. She did the, the, the slitting throat symbol, uh, you know, One, five, uh, sign. Six. Yeah, six. And then Carrie's six, address six, six. is 1516, and it's the same font. The 1516 is the same font. So is it possible, like, that, that was what Nido was saying? He's like, hey, you don't want to go there. That's hell. And the whole numerology thing, that he would have wound up outside of Carrie's place or in Odessa? Possibly. But, uh, yeah, I think it's just they're in hell, man. They're in hell, buddy. There's an idiot. You think you said Cooper. Cooper's not an idiot. I think he is an idiot. I think like he's been doing this a lot and he's just tired. And that's the, that's why the, the last final scene is like so devastating and kind of perfect for just the end of the season and series finale. I mean, it, it would be very hard to top that. The lights go out. He fucked it up. And then he's back in the goddamn lodge listening to her say like, you fucked it up. In his ear. Oh, that's yeah. Yeah. Well, let's do, you do think this it's again so little... and do it again and again. And it's still happening right now and forever. Do you find it a little comical that he, at various points, once he's, you know, crossed over, he's flashing his badge, kind of like Bill Harford in Eyes Wide Shut. Remember how he was always like, I'm a doctor. He was always flashing yeah. his but medical he, he doesn't say like Special Agent Dale Cooper. You know what I'm saying? That's one thing that he does not do at all, and which is very interesting. I think he does with Mary Reaper, with Alice Tremont. Doesn't he say like, I'm Special Agent Dale Cooper? I think, I think yes. He, I, think I think that was the reason why I thought he was back to himself at that point. He said, I am Dale Cooper. So yeah, that was it. But uh, yeah, but watching that scene, okay, when he, you know, like you said, like, do you recognize that house? It's kind of very Cooper. I love that. That feels really, yeah, he's engaged. But when he gets out of the car, it feels like he's afraid. Like, you know what I'm saying? I feel like he's not confident. He's afraid of what's around the corner because he's been gotten every time. And it's going to, he knows, he doesn't feel like he's he's really going to do this. It's like he's walking into a I think you're exactly right. I, I think that's what it, there's a, when he gets out of the car, he's staring up at the house. And you see the fear. And then when he, even when he's walking up to the door, I mean, there's apprehension. It's like, like, does he, 
is he afraid? Because he doesn't. He's surprised when he sees Alice Tremont. So does he think like he, does he maybe suspect that like Sarah is who we know she is from previous episodes, or he's just afraid that you know there might be you know some guy knows what behind this door. I mean, there's an apprehension and a some fear in, the kitchen this in time. Cooper at various points here, yeah. and I think seeing that dead body too in Carrie's place, I think that really spooked him a lot. Like really, yeah, it was like him. Walter Goggins meets uh, Jack Nicholson in The Shining. He's, he's Bob's cousin. The orb in the stomach looks like he's a, he was like uh oh, like that's symbology and like uh, you know metaphor, symbolism. Well, also I think we didn't mention the white horse. He sees the little white the toy white, oh, the white horse, horse that was is also on there. Yeah, see, in this diner. world, yeah, all the iconography, it's there. He knows it's going to crumble. What? When she leaves him in seventeen in the woods, right? Like it's not like he goes like what the fuck? Like you're holy shit. Like he's not surprised. He's like ugh, again, again. <laughs> I can't right. fucking do that again. So you think he's done that before? Yes, and he's back again. Like, is it future? Or has it passed? Are you going to do this in the past a million times? You're going to keep doing this in the future, you stupid idiot. And I feel like he's like, oh boy, he's is like Groundhog. Well, that's a, yeah. That's the thing is that when Laura says that she's dead, yet she lives, she has not been pulled out of the lodge yet. You know, but I think because you know time is so nebulous, and that Cooper did go back in time that he did pull her out of there. So she knows a part of her, I think is already in, 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 in Odessa. And this, I guess, plays into the whole, like, you know, the dark family tree and stuff like that it's, I mean, you've got to get like a, a chart and whatnot, because all the scenes that are happening a lot, especially in the red room, the, the timeline, the chronology is so out of whack. I mean, like he's talking to Laura and, and, and she's living in Odessa. She's been living in Odessa, presumably for whatever, 25 years, God knows how long. And but yet she's still there. Meanwhile. He sees the white horse in the lodge, you know, and the curtains disappear and it's just the, the black void. And then at some point, the room itself, red rooms like Lynch is superimposing uh, the, the red room over itself, which suggests to me of like, just like multiple timelines multiple adventures and that's until there's season four that that's it this could play out as infinite but it's always going to end up in the same way in the end where he's stuck in the fucking lodge so how does the the finale of part 18 compare to the finale of the second season like, do you have a preference? Better. For no, this is, is better. I like this better. I like the return better than, than the second season. Yeah, definitely. I like the first season of Twin Peaks the- best, but I think the way it ends, even though it was great to see Bob inside Cooper, I think this is is, is a different level of mastery and uh, profundity. And also being older, you know, obviously I like this better because it's more about, you know, kind of this guy who's gone through the fucking flames and the fire and he's still, I mean, I did not expect it to be like this, but we should have expected this. Um, but it, also we thought it was going to be a great cliffhanger for the next season, but it, it's not going to happen. And like, talk about that. Like we, I think we talked about like people doing that whisper thing, like on Instagram, Ooh, something's coming. Something's coming, Tom. <laughs> Remember that 50% <laughs> yeah. chance. Now I think it's like 0.05% oh. chance. We're getting no more. Right. Well, I think that, uh, you know, nothing is being produced right now. So who knows? I mean, yeah, right now I don't have any hope that anything is imminent, yeah. but I, I, I really believe that we're going to get something Twin Peaks related at some point. It it very well could be uh, 
without Lynch's involvement or Frost's involvement. I mean, at some point, who who the hell knows? I and, and this could go on like yeah, years day. down the road Lindelhoff. where we have some Lindelhoff, that put Sam Lindelhoff, Ismail, yeah. someone. Yeah. I mean, I I really believe that at some point we're going to get more Twin Peaks. I just think you know it's it's too uh, it's too popular and the merchandising the international audience i really believe that but where it could go is is the possibilities are endless i mean you know we didn't really discuss the the final section i guess we kind of did tangentially of part 18 where they actually show up but that that really is i mean it really you know they are returning to where it began and it's curious that Lynch loves the pilot of Twin Peaks so much. And he was just, it's all about the pilot for him. And the fact that they retconned that and, you know, had Laura not die, which basically, you know, he, you know, it's like a director's cut of his original pilot. You know, there's a, there's a different version of it now that he would, that he would even go there. I think means that he, there's more story to tell. I think they did that with the intention of future iterations somehow. I, I believe that, but for it to come back home at the Palmer House where it all began, you know, with Cooper, who has only been there one of the time in the original ser- series, I think, for Leland's Wake. And uh, I think that was the only time that he actually uh, interacted with Sarah. And to have it all come home again and, you know, hardly any music, hardly any sound, you know, that, that you know, that, that POV, that steady cam that's going up the steps. I mean, the way that it's lit the mysterious Alice Tremond. I mean, it's also like perfectly bizarre, but yet it makes sense. And the fact that it ends with such a terrifying high note, it's almost like it could be read two ways. as Laura's memory of, of everything, or maybe kind of a cleansing. You know, maybe she can somehow overcome and live her life in whatever this, this real world. But it also kind of diminishes the ending of Firewalk with Me, which is kind of a perfect ending for her. Well, if you tie it into Firewalk with Me, then you could say like some people thought like her, she was screaming and blowing out the lights of Sarah, and that she finally killed her at the end. Like that, that was a empowering scream, but that did not seem to be too empowering to me. I'd like to believe that she was empowered there at the end. She said, "Fuck you! I'm going to scream you out of existence," and the lights go out, and, she, and Judy's dead. I'd love that. They'd be like, "Hey, let's go to the double R's and pie." It'd be awesome. But I don't believe that. No, I don't think so. I think there's a very I think being seen at the very end at the end when he's whisper, she's whispering in his ear. Yeah. That shows okay, here we go again. Here we go a fucking again. Yeah. And he's going, yeah. Whoa like when he hears whatever she's saying. <laughs> Holy That's shit. It. It's it's tied to that original dream of her coming to him, kissing him and whispering him whispering to him. Lynch never wanted my father, you know, killed me to be uttered. I I, I don't believe. But it, it maybe all she's comes back Maybe to she's that. singing like "I Got You, Babe" from Sunny and Cher. <laughs> At least for me, I can't imagine anyone coming away with any other feeling other than like pure dread and it being a nightmare. Watching that 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 scream and that shot of her whispering into Cooper in slow motion with the Angelo's dark space low playing. I mean, it's just no. Awesome. That is, it's dark. dark. It's darker What's than dark? it's black as as midnight on a moonless night. And uh, I think that's that's how they see the world of Twin Peaks at this particular point. I mean, it is a perfect ending, I think, 
because it really does tie a lot of things in together. I mean, we, we do have Fire Walk With Me. It plays into all the multiple timelines and the adventures and, and everything. It's like, if you want to believe that, you know, Laura was saved at the end of Fire Walk With Me, that she overcame, that she overcame Bob by putting on the ring and the angels returned, that exists. Yeah. You if you want to believe yeah. that she was sucked out of the lodge and had to live, you know, miserably as Carrie Page for 25 years and was brought home to by brought back to Twin Peaks by Cooper, not knowing, you know, who she was, but then all of a sudden realizing it and, you know, then then so be it. You know, that's the more darker interpretation of it. And it's still all like super mysterious. Yeah, it was very uh, you know, prescient in terms of like he said the world is going to hell and the world has gone to absolute hell since this this happened. So he was totally uh, a trendsetter. He knew it was happening. So- I watched a recent episode or a Lynch interview with uh I think it was a Charlie Rose, um, a uh, Charlie Rose interview. And uh, Charlie Rose asked him if he could go back in time and live in any different era, where would he live? And he said, 1956. It was not like an era. He wanted to live in the year 1956, which was the year of the, you know, the, in part eight of the Judy bug when Sarah Palmer was, uh, how old was he at that time? he was, I think, 11. Well, there or it 10, is. Or 11. Great year. 12. Yeah. 10, yeah, 10 yeah. for me. like yeah. that. 83 for me. 83, yeah. 84. Good year. So I think he might believe that that was like a pure moment in time, at least in his life, where he was alive. And then everything that happened after that, like, was, you know, I wasn't, say, just dark, but he ties that year together with, I think, innocence in his own personal life. And then after that, I think, whether he was, you know, going into adolescence, things became, you know, more confusing and whatnot. I think we're all dealing with you know, the the conundrums of life or whatever that was a pure year and for him to incorporate that into Twin Peaks season three where you do see that innocence with the a young girl you know sharing your first kiss and uh, listening to this you know beautiful song by the platters on the radio like reminiscing about it and all the possibilities of what's going to happen and then you know moments later a bug is in her mouth and you know it alters her life forever I think ties into what they were discussing or conveying in season three is that you know there is all there's an innocence for us all at some point in life but we can't go back to that we can't change that as much as we want to to go back we can in our mind but we can't in reality and that ties into what cooper is doing he he wants to go back to a pure year to save laura because it will it will save so many other people it'll save himself from mr c it'll save audrey it'll save diane it'll save all it's a very noble act but you can't do it. And the consequences are extraordinary. And we see that play out of uh, wherever it is, Odessa and beyond, whatever world we're living in. Yeah, and in the end, he's trying to save himself as well. I mean, it's noble, but still he's trying to, he's right. on his own dogged pursuit here for himself. Yeah, I don't think it's a purely self He didn't even know act, Laura. You know what I'm saying? He didn't fucking know Laura. <laughs> Better. <laughs> do you think, you know, since Leland was in the lodge uh, for all this time, as was Laura, that Laura, you know, over the intervening 25 years would occasionally like walk into the Leland room and just like, you know, get her revenge on him somehow. That'd be like, cool. The hell out I'd, of I'd him. like to see that. He looked like he had been Wouldn't beaten I... down. He, he did not look very confident. <laughs> he did not have the, 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 the swagger. He wasn't dancing around. He didn't have the golf clubs. He didn't have a sweaty <laughs> face. He looked like he was also beaten down alive. Brave right, Laura. Right. He's probably still right. there. He can't even go to the bathroom. Sucks. Hey, I wanted to mention here, um, it was someone sent us a uh, like a tweet, like a message, 
and it was someone who listened to like I think we were doing the Mulholland Drive one and um, they said that they had not had like a Twitter account but they I guess you know we talk about Twitter and they signed up and they just wanted to let us know that they love the podcast and that this person wrote a term paper for a for uh, a class comparing the end of Twin Peaks the Return part 18 to Once Upon a Time in Hollywood because I know we talked about that I think uh, in our Mulholland Drive podcast or whatever. And somehow from our discussion of that little part of Once Upon a Time in Hollywood and talking about Twin Peaks, especially part 18, they formulated an essay that they wrote and turned into their teacher and hopefully got a good grade. That's so awesome. You should that tweet it really out. Cool. Yeah, I like that. That's good. I was yeah. thinking like watching this, like that, like, you know, people criticized uh, Margot Robbie's character being Sharon Tate, that she really was just kind of like, just playing the role you never really got in her head she was just like the golden girl like she was objectified and people said oh you don't have to write women and Quentin Tarantino was like you just don't get it you know but like in a way Diane and Laura Diane more than Laura were both kind of like just kind of these pawns in this story who did not really seem to get a strong arc in the, internally so that we knew where where they were you know what I'm saying just like Margot Robbie where she was just Sharon Tate and she was the golden girl avatar we see her from the outside we never really get inside her head or understand what her motivations are or what's going on with her at all. You know, it's kind of similar to this. So I, I see that connection immediately. Yeah, I don't know what the details were of uh, of the essay, but I just thought that was like super cool. I like to see that. Like send it to, to that. me. Yeah, send it to the yeah. viewers. I like to hear that. I don't have the I don't have the the paper. Just the message. And also, you mentioned Caitlin. So, Caitlin, one of our fans and listeners, one of our longtime OGs, uh, was talking about the Vast of Night, which was on Amazon, and I saw that with my daughter Sophia, and did have definitely 1956 vibes. I think whoever created that might have been Lynch's neighbor, uh, because it did seem like it had like a similar. <laughs> like, if you want to go back to season four, would you be happy if season four was all like? 1956, like following uh, Sarah Palmer and the Bug Girl, and like the whole entire season four was in that world in black and white, without any new character or any original characters. Would you be happy with that? Yeah, yeah. And part of me yeah, would me want a season four to be a completely different world with completely different characters, uh, and maybe you know tangentially related to Cooper and Laura. At least or keep Jacques Tom. Change his name. <laughs> throw Jacques in there. He needs the work. You love him. Jacques. How you doing, eh? I'm okay. Let me ask you a question. Three years later, you know, how, how does it hold up for you? Dude, and it held up better your... for me than I thought. I think when I originally saw it, I was uh, frustrated. Look at my clock and like my watch, like, I only got 18 minutes left, only 17 minutes left. But I was able to really ease into it and love it. It was a beautiful piece of art and it was almost simple when you compare to something like dark <laughs> trying to understand what's going on i got it i loved it it was a meditation it was very it was profound and beautiful and sad and haunting it was like operatic and it was like a it literally was a living piece of art which makes sense that you watched it with the sound off and stuff because this is a moving painting that will be forever remembered in the louvre like hanging up in the louvre motherfucker for the last 100 years i would say that this show is still at the tops, I mean, there's been some other great shows like I love that Watchmen and Dark and Mr. Robot and Leftovers and all that stuff is awesome. But this is its own beautiful animal, and it is really a surrealist painting. And it's just it's beautiful, it's profound and haunting and sad, and uh, it's perfect. It really is. Maybe a little bit of Ducky I would have cut out, but other than that, <laughs> I fucking loved it, and I loved 18, and I thought it was uh, I'm gonna miss it, and it was good to go back to watch it again. It was like a time capsule in simpler times 
you know, and we were all a part of that. Everyone that's listening to this, that were fans of Twin Peaks, that have watched this, we took this journey with Lynch, and we were here for that moment in time that'll forever be remembered. And uh, you know, it was great, and it was better than the shit we're living in now. <laughs> I can tell you that. I want to go back to 2017. <laughs> so it was great. Thanks for tuning in, everybody. Stay safe, and uh, let's keep the faith. Twenty twenty one is going to be a lot better. Snow. have to do an inland empire uh a podcast we have a lot oh, of people Jesus. that have asked us about we definitely that. can't do and a I watch haven't... by we can't do a three-hour watch no way we can no, sum no, it up but i that. can't no way yeah <laughs> no but i think we need to do like you know we did with uh, the other lynch movies i think we should give inland empire a shot because i mean that it's uh, that's a rabbit hole movie i mean it's three hours long and i haven't seen it forever and um i would like to so that would be a movie that that we would, that would discuss i want to talk about Eraserhead because. I just want to tell the story of, you know, how I first watched it. My grandmother, um, there's a great story about my grandmother, God rest her soul, um, was the one responsible for getting me the copy of that of film. So I want to tell that story, but I want to do Eraserhead too. But we also want to do maybe some other movies, some classic movies um, that maybe Lynch related, like you know, some Hitchcock. I also want to do TV you know. series, everybody out there. If you want to get Tom <laughs> to do a TV series when begging for dark and whatnots, like just uh, send him some tweets. Send him some direct messages, and we'll see if we can bombard him with ideas and fan favorites uh, that we can actually get him to do one. Because I'm all about that, too. You know, if we would do, like, Larry Sanders show or Seinfeld, those are two <laughs> no. shows that you know, I would get back to. Yeah. Dude, although, I was thinking if we um, did Dark, I would, it would be hard. That's what I'm saying. It, it, it's a, it's a really difficult. So there's some that might be over our heads in terms of uh, – because I had to watch it, like, two times and do lots of research. So maybe something that would be more in your realm. But uh, – yeah, I would love to do that. So we'll see where the future holds. If we're all still alive and, uh, you know, the revolution hasn't happened, Trump doesn't uh, get reelected, maybe we can keep doing this. If not, I might be moving to Canada and becoming a freedom fighter, Tom. I think that might be <laughs> So we might be doing a revolutionary, hard, hairy, pump up the volume type podcast here soon where we're uh, calling people to arms and we're going to do some uh, Che Guevara shit. We've got the revolutionary beard already. So do I. <laughs> I look like Teen Wolf's dad. Oh.